At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying his word together. Today, we invite you to tune in for our current series, Revealed, stories with purpose as we study the parables of Jesus, reading stories with the power to reveal God's truth in our lives. Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus says, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for your word today. We thank you for your grace and that you have spoken for us. And Lord, we would pray that you would give us ears to hear you today. Lord, we, we perceive this morning that this parable, as much as we want to say isn't, it isn't for us, it is for us. And so, Lord, we would ask that you would help us. Reveal to us our blind spots and, and show us, Lord, where we have need of you. Show us where we need to humble ourselves, Lord. I pray that your spirit would speak and that he would have the freedom among us to work today. And Lord, that you would change our lives so that we would glorify you well. Help us now, we pray and we ask. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for Christ today that we could come and worship him. We pray that you would help us now and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. And you can be seated. Have you ever been in on a conversation with someone else? Perhaps uh, maybe you were at a class at school and the teacher is teaching and they're talking and you're kind of like daydreaming out. You're not really paying that much attention to what the teacher is saying. You're just kind of beginning to think about other things and, and all of a sudden the teacher turns and says your name and they ask you the question. You're, you're all of a sudden going, wait, wait, were they talking to me? <laughs> Do they have something to say to me? Or maybe you're in a meeting, you know, where uh, you're there with your colleagues around the table and, and you're at that meeting at work and you're kind of scrolling through Facebook on your phone or you're looking at something else or you're texting with somebody who's not in the meeting and your boss turns to you and says, hey, tell me what you think about that. You ever had that awkward moment where you're not fully engaged, you're not fully paying attention, and all of a sudden someone is talking to you directly? They're speaking to you directly? Have you ever been somebody who's listening or reading the Word of God? You're in the Scriptures yourself, and you're, and you're reading along and you're going, oh, that's, that's very nice, and all of a sudden God grabs you and He says, this is for you, that, that He wants to speak directly to you, even though you may not believe when you first began to read that this was something you needed to pay attention to. Could Jesus be speaking to you and I this morning? 
I'm concerned for many of us that, that we read this parable, and by the way, this is my favorite parable of all the parables that Jesus told. I love this one so much because it contains the essence of the gospel so clearly. It shows us how you and I, as people today, should come before God. I love the parable for its simplicity in this way, but oftentimes I think we read this parable and we, go, we, we identify with a particular character in the parable and not with another, and so we don't think this parable parable, at least today, is as much for us as it is for someone else. Could Jesus be talking about you and perhaps to you today? Could this parable be something for you? I, I hope that you would, as we listen this morning, that you would consider that question and ask yourself, is Jesus talking to me today? Is he speaking to me and my life? Am I someone here he's trying to address now, we're in this series, we've been looking at several of the parables of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. We've called it Revealed Stories with Purpose. We're looking at these parables because Jesus, as He shares these parables, He's trying to speak directly to our hearts. And in using metaphors and stories of the culture and the time at hand, He's trying to get us to see things that we wouldn't see otherwise. Oftentimes, we are blind to spiritual truths, or we only want to hear particular parts of spiritual truth that we like. That, that seem to affirm how we're doing life. And we need stories to kind of lift off the blinders and it, to get to the very heart that we wouldn't get otherwise. This story is one of those stories. It's one of those parables. A parable is a story of Jesus. It's, it's, it's a metaphor. It's a fiction, if you will, although contained in the truth of God's Word, it is true for us in every way. But it is a story for us to consider. It's a story for us to consider our hearts. Now, Luke here, he gives the parable away right in the very first verse. In verse 9, he actually tells us who this parable is written for. It's a story with an agenda. It has, if I could put it like this, a gospel propaganda to it to get us to assess our hearts. And the audience is there in verse 9. Jesus told this parable. Let's see if we find ourselves in these categories. He told this parable to some who, first of all, trusted in themselves that they were righteous. They thought, you know what, I'm okay, I'm righteous, I don't have any other need in and of myself, I'm a good person morally, I'm fine, I'm okay, inwardly clean, rightly holy, I'm good with God. He, he told these people to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, first part, and, and there's a connection here between these two, I'll unpack it in just a moment, and they treated others with contempt. Now think about that for just a moment. They, they trusted that they were righteous, and the way that they treated other human beings, the way they interacted in the world socially with other people was with nothing less than contempt. They treated others with contempt. Friends, could you, this be you? Could this be me this morning? Well, how would we know? How would we know if this is us? And I would just encourage you, don't be too quick this morning to dismiss yourself. Don't be too quick to say, you know what, that's not me. I got it figured out, I'm okay. Listen to Jesus' parable. Jesus connects our doctrine, what we believe, with our practice, what we do. He connects what we believe internally in our hearts and in our minds with the way we live it out in the world. It's a two-edged sword here to get to the very heart of how we live and who we are. 
So let's analyze this. Let's look a little bit deeper into the parable itself. He told this parable to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And what Jesus does is he shows us to begin with two ways people approach God. Two ways that that most of us, all of us, approach God. We come to God in one of these two ways. We stand before him in one of these two approaches. There's two men in the story here. In verse 10 through verse 13, we get the essence of the story itself. Jesus says in verse 10, two men went up into the temple to pray. So, So he lays it out. These two men are obviously pious men. They are going to the temple for its very purpose and function. They are going there to pray and to seek the Lord and call on his name. That's a good and right thing for them to do. They had to go up to the temple. The temple in Jerusalem was set on a hill, and so they had to walk uphill to this temple. This is an act of devotion and worship as they go step by step up to the temple to draw near to the presence of God, to seek his face, and to pray. And Jesus tells us there's two individuals in this story. First of all, a Pharisee. One, a Pharisee. The other, a tax collector. Now, let me just explain for you for just a moment those two characters, those two people there. Jesus has picked the two men that would stand at the uttermost extremes of the spectrum of respectability and morality in their culture. He's chosen the individual that would be seen as the the most righteous, the most upstanding, the most good person that there could be. He's put him on one end of the spectrum. And he's chosen the person who is the deepest villain, the most hated individual, the guy that is the worst, absolutely. That he is the one that everybody knows is the worst of sinners. And he contrasts these two. We've got a Pharisee. The Pharisee is the religious leader. He's the Bible guy. In their culture, the Pharisees were the upstanding, moral, religious, righteous citizens of their society. They practiced the law faithfully. They were the Bible church people. The Pharisees were the ones that held to the Scriptures closely. They interpreted it clearly. They sought to live out under the Word of God as best as they could. And in doing so, they oftentimes added to the law so that they wouldn't get close to sinning against the law. So they built up fences around it. You will see just a few of those in just a moment. But where there was one practice laid out in the Scriptures, to make sure that they didn't violate that practice, they created other things to keep them from getting close to that. But these guys were the righteous guys. A a, a person hearing Jesus' story in that day would have said, the Pharisee, he's the good guy here in the story. He's He's maybe the hero in this. The other guy, the tax collector, stood at the very far end of the spectrum. The tax collectors were the traitors. They were the sellouts. They were the people that had abused their own countrymen. They had abandoned their own families to go and work for the Roman occupying government. They were greedy, often seen as robbers. They stole from their fellow countrymen and their people when they levied the taxes that Rome had imposed upon the nation of Israel. They would take more than their fair and right share. The tax collectors were the the people in society no one wanted to be with. They were the worst. So you have the very best of the citizens of Israel at that time, and you have the very worst of the citizens of Israel at that time. And Jesus has them in the same story doing the very same thing, going up to the temple to pray. Now what's going to happen? Well, here's these two ways that people approach God. Jesus zeroes in, first of all, on the Pharisee. Look with me at verse 11. The Pharisee, 
standing by himself. Standing was a posture of prayer. And Jesus takes both of these men and he places them in a specific way. So he's not, he's not showing this man as, anything, uh, as if there's anything wrong in where he's standing. He, just, he goes and he stands by himself to pray in the temple. And this is the content of his prayer. God. So he's addressing the right person here. His prayer is Godward. He's speaking to God himself. I thank you. Okay? Two for two so far. His prayer is, is starting out well. He's thanking God in his prayer. That is a, a right and good posture for us, to be thankful to the Lord, to express our gratitude towards him for all that he has given us. But notice here what he says. I thank you that I am not like other men, that, that I'm not like other people. God, I, I thank you that I'm not like these other people. And then he begins to explain or list out who they are. Extortioners people who took sums of money beyond and beyond, beyond and beyond, above and beyond what they should take, robbers in that way, unjust, literally in the Greek it's unrighteous people, just, just vagrant sinners, adulterers, saying, I'm, I'm grateful I'm not like one of them. I mean, that's just a, a violation of faithfulness of a, a marriage covenant, I'm glad I'm not like that guy, that person, I'm not that despicable. Or even, and then he points the finger because he's seen him. Jesus positions the stories that the man, the Pharisee, has seen the other man, the tax collector. And he goes, I'm not even as bad or like that guy, the tax collector. Now here he has begun to contrast himself with everyone else in society. And he's thanking God for how good he is. God, thank you that you have morally cleaned up my life and shaped me in such a way that I'm not an extortioner, I'm not unjust, I'm not a big sinner, I'm not an adulterer, I'm not even like this terrible tax collector. Thank you, God. My life is so well put together. Thank you for my righteousness. Here he is. And then he goes... And he begins to talk about how righteous and religious he is. He begins to tell God his religious practices. He says in verse 12, I fast twice a week. Now, now again, remember I said that the Pharisees had built in laws to protect them from breaking the singular law. Nowhere in the Old Testament scriptures were they told to fast twice a week. If anything, they were told to fast maybe once a year on the Day of Atonement. And now he's saying, I, I fast twice a week. Two times a week, just, just to show you how holy I am, God, just to, just to tell you how pious and how devoted to you I am, how, how much I desire to please you in everything. I just want you to know I'm fasting 100 days out of the year, eating nothing. That's how good I am. It's my religious practice, just so I won't break the singular law of fasting once a year. I fast twice a week. I give tithes. Tithe is 10%. He says, I give a tithe of everything I get, which again wasn't commanded. It was, it was commanded that they give, and there was a certain amount that they should give, but not a tithe of absolutely everything they get. And here again, the Pharisee is just displaying how extreme and aggressive his religious activity is. He exceeded the requirements. Now, this is how he sees his posture before God. I'm not like these other people that are big, bad, horrible, wicked sinners. And in fact, I am super, super righteous and clean and holy like you are because of all that I do. My righteousness, he says, comes from what I'm doing 
and not who I am, not what I'm against, not what I'm like. This is one way to approach God. Now, unless you think that this is something unusual or this is some, you know, hyperbole that Jesus brings out from this guy, Jesus is actually quoting a common prayer in his day. Some of the Jewish Talmud, the, the religious teachings of the Jews of that day, had a prayer very, very similar to this in their own liturgies. This is how the Jews of Jesus' day were taught to pray. God, I thank you that I'm not a sinner like these people, and that I'm extra righteous because of here what I do. I'm not as bad as everyone else. Look at how righteous I am. Look at what I'm doing to keep me afloat and in your presence. I heard Jesus saying, this is one way that we can approach God. God, thank you for how good you've made me. Thank you for how, how excellent I'm living. Thank you for how great things are in my life right now. You, you might say, well, that's, that's not me. I don't, I don't pray that way. I don't bring up my righteousness before God and tell him and just show him, like, here's the trophy room of how religious I am right now. But I want you to see the contrast. I, I want you to see how Jesus talks about the other person who prays. Here's one way to come to God. God, here's all that, thank you, and by the way, good gratitude there. Thank you for all that I am. Thank you for all that I'm doing righteously. Thank you that I'm not like these other people that are they're just terrible. But there's another prayer here, another posture of heart towards the Lord, the tax collector in verse 13. Jesus here doesn't say too much about the tax collector. In just saying his name, the tax collector, the Jews of Jesus' day, the original hearers of this would know how wicked this guy was. They would know he has no privilege, no right to stand before God. He has no place to stand before God. They, they would immediately see him as the bad guy, the worst of the worst, the greedy, the traitors, those who had abandoned God altogether. So Jesus takes us to this tax collector, and here he too is standing. He's standing in his prayer. It's a right posture. And as he stands, it says he stands far off. Now this one, he can't even seem to get close to the presence of God. Where it seems like the Pharisee kind of walked right up to as close within the temple as he could get to the Holy of Holies, the tax collector sees himself at a very different position. He stands far off he stays as far from God as he can. A few scholars have suggested that he probably didn't even leave the court of the Gentiles to come in close. He, he knows he's a sinner. He, he knows he's guilty. He dare not draw close to the holiness of God. His, his, posi his position of just standing far off says he's not there yet. Standing far off, he would not even lift his eyes to heaven. I mean, here's how he feels about his, his guilt. He's too ashamed. He's too guilty. He's too broken. He, 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 feels, he feels God's anger against his sin. He, he feels his shame. He knows he's wrong. He won't even lift his eyes up to heaven. He beat his chest. Again, this is a symbol in this display of a broken and a contrite heart. This man is wrecked. He is sorrowful. He's just, he's, he's just at anger with himself for his sin. He's, he's brokenhearted in every way as he draws close to God to pray, even though he doesn't draw close and he has to stand far off. He just, he's just hoping God will hear him, hoping God will, will do something on his behalf. 
And here's his prayer. God, again, the same person is addressed. The Pharisee and the tax collector are praying to the same person here. They're praying to God. And his prayer is this, six words. Be merciful to me, a sinner. That's all he can say. That's all he can get out of his mouth. God, be merciful to me. A sinner. It's me. I'm the sinner in this. Here he he notes a couple things. First of all, when he says be merciful, the, the term that he's using there in the Greek is to say to God, avert your anger from me. Take, take the wrath that I rightly deserve and, and remove it. Be propitious to me and, and remove your anger. Take it away. Atone for me. May, may, may I be atoned for. Be merciful to me, God. My sin, it, it, it racks up a great penalty and a great debt against you. I can't pay it. Someone must pay it themselves. Atone for me. Take it away. Remove my guilt. Remove my sin. Do what I can't do. That's what he's praying here when he cries out for God's mercy. Saying, God, help me because I'm helpless. Show your power because I have no power in and of myself. Forgive me because I can't clean up myself. Be merciful to me, God. And then the next phrase, a sinner. In the Greek, it's more emphatic. It's actually the sinner. <laughs> Here he isn't just saying, I'm you know, one among millions of sinners. I'm just like the rest of everybody else and a sinner like you and me. Here he is saying, I'm it. <laughs> there's everybody else and then there's me, the sinner. I'm the worst. I, I mean, he identifies, with him, he identifies himself the way his culture is identifying him. He is the sinner. He is the guy at the bottom of the barrel. He recognizes that he has no right to stand before God and that his sin is great and offensive, that God is holy and that he is not. He deserves nothing of God's kindness and nothing of God's good. And so he says, I am the sinner. It reminds us of what Paul said about himself in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Grace was given to me, the chief of sinners. That's what true humility does. It it positions us in the world at the bottom. <laughs> it says, I am, I am the sinner. I, I need help. I know other people need help, but, but God, I need it the most because I'm the worst. So here's two ways to approach God. The Pharisee approaches God by saying, God, here's who I am not and the good that I've done. Aren't, I, aren't you glad to have me, God. Here's who I'm not. I'm not these tax collectors. I'm not these adulterers. I'm not these sinners. Here's who I am not, and and here's all the good I've done. I hope I get a trophy in heaven for that. The other way to approach God is the way the tax collector does. God, here's what I need, and here's the bad that I've done. I have nothing. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. It's the sinner's prayer, by the way, in the scriptures. This is how we should always approach God. Now the story comes back to how does God respond? We see these two approaches, and I would ask you this morning, which one is your approach? How are you approaching God as you pray to him, as you seek him, as you come to him? Do you trust in yourself that you are righteous? God, I thank you that you've cleaned me up pretty well. I thank you that I'm not like these other sinners. 
I'm not like these bad people in our society today. God, I thank you. I am not there because look at all these good things I'm doing. I mean, look at all these religious activities I, I'm, I'm involved in. Attend church, I give, I pray, I read the Bible like five times a year. Like Whatever it is, what are you trying to take to God as your religious righteousness? Or is that how you approach God? Or are you approaching God with the utmost of humility? Be merciful to me, God. I'm the sinner. I'm the sinner. How do you think God responds here? How do you think God responds to these two men? This is verse 14. Jesus concludes the parable and he says this, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, the guy everybody hated, the the guy that was of utmost wickedness, this man went down to his house justified. That word justified is very important here in the text. It is the declaration of God that you are innocent and holy and pure. It is a declaration of God that in his sight, you are righteous. This man has come before God and he says, God, I need your mercy. I need you to atone for me. I am the worst. I need your help. And that's all he comes with. And he goes home, and in the sight of God, because he has pleaded God's mercy and grace, and he has asked for reconciliation, he is renewed. He is declared right in God's sight. This one went down to his house justified rather than the other. The guy everyone in the culture would have thought is the justified guy, is the righteous guy. Nope, not in God's sight. See, what Jesus is teaching here is this. The way of the kingdom is a heart matter. The way of the kingdom is a heart matter. Here's what separates these two in their prayers. The Pharisee has elevated and exalted himself. He's standing before almighty, holy, gracious God. And he's saying, look how good I am. Thanks. Look how great I've got it. Thank you. Aren't I wonderful? Awesome. He's elevated himself. Instead, in contrast, the tax collector has humbled himself. He's put himself at the bottom, lowered himself before God. He he doesn't dare come to God with any pride or any any assumption that God's going to do anything for him. He knows his sin is an eternal offense against an infinite being that deserves full punishment eternally. He doesn't deserve any help. He doesn't deserve any mercy. And he just comes humbly before God and he pounds his chest and he says, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And there he shows his heart. And this is what Jesus says as he concludes this parable. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, the Pharisee has trusted That's that key word in verse 9. He has trusted that he was right. And what has he done? He's treated others with contempt. God, I'm righteous. God, thank you that I'm not like these other people. 
and he looks down his nose at them. He treats them with contempt. The tax collector trusted that he wasn't righteous, and he humbled himself before God, crying out for mercy. The kingdom of God is a heart matter. And here's where the parable comes and lands itself towards us. What is your heart towards God? And what is your heart towards other people? You see, this parable is a shot across the bow. Actually, it's more like a shot right at the deck of our lives. Of any heart that believes we're righteous in and of ourselves. Or that we have earned our righteousness. Or that we are better than anyone else. And I think for many of us, we listen to this parable, especially many of us here this morning who are faithful followers of Jesus, who are saturated in the Bible, who know this story, and we know the truths or the doctrines of Christianity. Many of us here this morning know that we are saved not by our works. We know, we, we say we are saved by faith alone, in God's grace alone, through what Jesus has done alone. And we say and we know that in our heads, and we, we say we believe that God justifies sinners not based on their own good deeds, but on the work of Jesus who died in their place for their sins. We know that justification is a declaration of God where he says you are righteous Not by your works, but by his grace, which we receive through faith. We know that. And in fact, I could say we would even know the scriptures that say God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We know that we're saved, not by our own righteousness, but by the mercy of God. And we know we're sinners. We know these things theologically. We get this parable. We say, yeah, Okay, I get it. The guy that I should be cheering for is the tax collector because of how he prays, because of his true heart, his sincerity. I know these things are true. I know that I am not saved by my own righteousness, so I'm not going to trust it myself. However, even though we may get this parable theologically, practically, I think we miss it day in and day out. C.S. Lewis puts it it this way, a man is never so proud as when he is striking an attitude of humility. Remember, Luke told this parable to some that trusted in themselves that they were right. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous. But don't forget the second part of that. And treated others with contempt. See, Jesus is attacking our pride He's, a, he's attacking the churchgoer, the, the, the come Sunday morning Christian, the person who has it all theologically together. He's attacking our pride and saying, you may get it up here. You may say, yes, you believe in the doctrines of grace, that you are justified by God's righteousness and his grace alone, but he is coming after our actions, our pride in our actions. Are you so arrogant that you can take your rightness and your goodness to God and say, Thank you, God, that I'm more mature and holy than everybody else. Thank you that I'm not a sinner like these folks. You can be sure that pride lives in your heart when you treat others with contempt and disdain, when you look down on others for any reason at all, when you treat them not as the image bearers of God that they are, but as beneath you, and not worthy of your presence, your care, or your humility itself. 
That's the question that Jesus raises here. What qualifies you? When you, when you come to stand before God, what, what qualifies you before him? Again, I'll say I'm afraid that many of us affirm the doctrine that we're justified by, God alone, by God's grace alone. But we live with godless pride towards our neighbor, especially those who don't agree with us. We have the right theology. We have the right spiritual disciplines. But everyone who isn't as elevated and holy and mature as we perceive ourselves to be, we look down on. And we say things like, I'll pray for them, that one day they'll, they'll mature up to be as smart or right as I am. I'll pray for them that one day they'll get it like I do. When we bank our justification on how right we believe ourselves to be, instead of humbly coming to God and saying, God, I need you. God, atone for me. God, I am the worst. We don't elevate others. We elevate ourselves. We lift up ourselves in pride. And this is what Jesus is after. Everyone who exalts himself, everyone who puts somebody else underneath them and climbs the ladder up, they will be humbled. When King Jesus returns, he will humble all those who have elevated themselves. But, and this is the good news, friends, to the humble, to those who have come like the tax collector and, and gotten on their knees beat their chest and said, God, be merciful to me because I am the sinner. I am the worst. There's, I mean, everybody's doing great and I'm a wreck. That's where his grace is. That's where his mercy is found. Everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. The point is this, the heart matters and the heart displays itself in our actions it shows ourselves not just in the doctrines that we say we believe up here, but in the way we treat others in the world in real time. This parable is aimed at us. It's aimed at us, the doctrinally sound, biblically oriented, religiously faithful people in the midst of a wicked world. When we trust our own righteousness, when we treat others with contempt, regardless of who they are, we stand outside of God's mercy. We don't need it. We have it all together. So let me ask you, friends, this morning to look at your heart. Let Jesus' parable here be a mirror to you and your life. To examine yourself and to ask, listen in as Jesus has been talking, and now he may turn to you and say, you? I'm speaking to you? Would you listen in? Ask yourself the question, how am I treating other human beings? How am I treating other people? How am I treating those who are made in the image of God? Do you look with contempt? Do you look down and treat others with contempt? We treat others with contempt by the way we talk to them or talk about them to others. We treat others with contempt by the manner in which we engage them in social media, the way that we talk about them or talk to them on our social media conversations. We treat others with contempt when we live with apathy towards the needs and the hurts and the brokenness of other people. When we just close our eyes and say, it doesn't exist and I'm not going to have anything to do with it and it's just not there. That's us looking down the nose. It's being disdaining and treating others with contempt. We treat others with contempt when we elevate ourselves 
And we say, God, I thank you that I'm not like, and you fill in the blank here. I'm not like the homeless. Thank you, God, that that's not me. I'm not like the down and out. Thank you, God, that's not like me. I'm not the druggie. God, thank you, that's not me. I'm not the poor. God, thank you, that's not me. I'm not a liberal. God, thank you, that's not me. Or on the other side, I'm not a conservative. God, thank you, that's not me. God, I thank you that I'm not a bad person. That's just contempt. God hates it. I told you this was my favorite parable. Because it gets right to our hearts. It's not just about what we believe. It's about how we live. Jesus tells this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So what do we do with this? Three things. First of all, we need to repent. We need to see our own sin and come humbly before God with true humility, the humility of the tax collector, the humility of the pagan, godless guy who had sold out his country. That's the humility we come to God with. It sees ourselves in need and sees that only God can deal with our sin. Only he can atone for our wickedness. And he has done that, friends. The good news is God has done that through the cross of Christ. When Jesus laid down his life for us, that is where our sin was atoned for. So you can come to Jesus as the worst. You don't have to have anything together. You can come to Jesus as the most wicked person in the world. There is no sin that can hold you back from Jesus dealing with it. You can come to him this morning and say, Jesus, be merciful to me. I plead your cross. I claim your blood. His mercy is there for you. This morning, brothers and sisters, friends, repent. Come before God with true humility that sees yourself in need of God's mercy. Secondly, humble yourself. Humble yourself. The Christian life is a life of constant humiliation and repentance before God and others. Remember, God resists the proud, so if you find yourself as the Pharisee in this story today, Humble yourself before God and others. God resists the proud. Clear fact in Scripture. But he gives grace. Hear that, brothers and sisters? He gives grace to the humble. So humble yourself. Put yourself at the bottom. Elevate others. Live to put others first. Live to serve others. Live to make Jesus known in all the world. Live so that you are at the bottom and others are at the top in everything. Humble yourself. And then thirdly, elevate others. That's the flip side of the coin of humility. It's just making other people greater in your life, empowering, encouraging, meeting needs, serving, speaking well of, doing all you can to honor God, to shine the light of the gospel in the world by putting others in front of you and above you and caring, serving them, blessing them, working for them. Here's how we live this out. Our hearts need to change to repent, to humble ourselves, and to elevate others. You and I are justified by faith alone. But true faith is never alone. It's accompanied by humility, by love, by patience, mercy, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. So put your faith into action. Ask yourself, What qualifies me? Why should I stand before God and be righteous? Is it because of your great deeds? Because you're not like other people? Or is it because of what Jesus has done? 
And all you can do is cling to and cry out for his mercy and grace. Let our faith be a faith in action. Let's pray. Jesus, this morning we thank you for this parable. The way that you turn our attention right to you. And you get right to our hearts. Lord, we pray and ask that we would come to you this morning, not with our pride, not with our righteousness, not with how good we are, not with looking down on other people, but we would come to you this morning with nothing less than full humility. That we would humble ourselves before you and before one another, that we would cry out to you and say, God, be merciful to me. I'm the sinner. I'm the worst. Atone for my sin. Cleanse my heart. Help me to love others as Christ has loved us. Lord, may you teach us this act of humility so that the last day we would not find ourselves humbled, but in our humility now we would find ourselves elevated by your grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together this week. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and to get you connected to the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org forward slash connect to introduce yourself today.